0: And uh, and so we're in a series, we're starting today called Family Matters, and over the next four or five weeks, we're going to talk around what family means for us, but actually, inherently, I know it matters to you, but more importantly, it matters to God. And so family matters, and uh, no matter where you're from, maybe your family's not here, maybe you're alone here this morning, but I want to tell you that God invites every one of us into His family, and uh, and so family matters, and the, the, the tagline is, Happy Houses and Healthy Families. Happy houses and healthy families. Now, I know there's a difference between a house and a home. Someone once said, a house is steel and beams, but a home is love and dreams. A house is steel and beams, but a a home is love and dreams. A house is functional, but a home is where family resides. A house is like a boarding place, but a home is where you belong. And so what does it look like for us? And uh, if you're taking notes today, my, my title, my message is simply this, a healthy home. A healthy home. How do we build a healthy home? It's a great question, isn't it? Um, because I want to tell you a little bit about family before I start. We've got all, all of us here have got a couple of things in common. One is, before we were born, we never wrote an application form, filled an application form to the family we're going to belong to. Am I right? We weren't there in heaven like God says, I want to be part of the Ngema family. I want to be part of the Linda family. I want to be part of the Smith family. None of us did that. We didn't have the opportunity. We were, we were put into a family. And I wonder if it wasn't just to make up the numbers, but to bring your light, God's light, to, to bring purpose. Uh, it wasn't just to, oh, I'm in a family. No, you're more than just in a family. You're there for a reason. And God says by His redemptive grace that He's come to save us and restore us. But God's heart is on changing families forever. Unto a thousand generations For some of you, you were the first in your family to come to know Christ. To be saved and renewed by him, you know what that means? You can change it forever. What a beautiful promise. That your faith, although it seems wavering at times, your faith is not around whether it's big or small. I like to say it like this, I'd rather have a weak faith in a strong object than a strong faith in a weak object. I'd rather have a a weak faith in a, who's my strong object? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we got that in common, Nooks, no application form, you were born into it. Here's another thing about family, is that we all got in common here, we're all part of a dysfunctional family, don't look at your spouse, you know that guy, that uncle you don't invite to Christmas, but I'm not talking about the uncle, I'm talking about you. Because we were born dysfunctional, but by God's grace, He's redeemed us and restored us. And He's doing a deep transformational work in us. And so, yes, we are part of a dysfunctional family. But I've come to realize, and we often say it here at Link Church, there's no perfect family, but there are blessed families. There's no perfect marriage, but there are blessed marriages. There's no perfect children. (laughs) There was a giggle in the front row. But there are blessed children. Amen? Amen. They are. We are blessed not because we had it all together, but because God came and rescued us, saved us, and redeemed us. And so we didn't write an application form. Yes, we're a little bit dysfunctional, but ultimately, God is in the business of renewing us and restoring us. Every time I read the Word of God, which is living and active, and it's God-breathed, and what it does for us, as it says in 2 Timothy, the Word of God has come, it's useful for correcting, training, and righteousness, and all that. Why? To equip every man and woman for every good work. There's something when we settle around this and we read it, and it comes alive in our world, it changes our families, our relationships. And so the question I want to ask today is, what does a healthy home look like? What does it look like for you? Because I know I've got grandparents, I've got parents, I've got children, I've got teenagers in the room, and we all play a part in it. For some, they've just got newly married and it's like, woo, shabba <laughs> Here we go. How do we do this? How do we navigate it? What does it look like in relationship? Because you know, in Romans 15, it says this, spiritual maturity is not connected to content or knowledge, although knowledge is important. It's connected to relationships, which is so beautiful. We were born for connection. We were born for relationships. And so today, I wanna look at a, a text that actually our small group's been looking at for a while now, it's it's a book called Thessalonians, it's an amazing book, in fact, Paul writes it to a church he planted, they were like his family, and he had to leave because he'd been persecuted, but he left a group of believers, just a small group, smaller than us here, and they literally, their story is remarkable, because they did three things, they had faith that acted, they had love that labored, and they had hope that gripped and this, those three things changed the world around them. In fact, their faith went through the world. They were known for their faith. And so he writes back to this church and he wants to find out, what is it that stood, you so, stood your ground? How is it that you were in such circumstances and afflictions and yet you had such joy? How is it that there was everything was panicky around you but you walked with such peace? You know, Paul made an, an interesting assumption when he looked at this church. He thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to assume that the world doesn't want to hear the good news, but I'm going to assume the, girl, the world wants to see the good news. And I thought to myself, you know what, that's what the world often is looking for. Can I see a demonstration of the gospel? Because you see, the gospel is not just declared, it's also demonstrated. It's not just the word that is preached. Yes, it will always be preached because it's good news, but it's more how we live it out in our relationships. I wonder if the world's looking to the church and going, man, the biggest testimony I've seen is that family who've gone through a tough time, yet they still stand and stood strong. Or oh, the world maybe would testify to that businessman who's gone through chaos and chaos, but he's worked and he's lived with integrity. I wonder if the world's looking for people when it's all panicky in South Africa and there's riots and there's COVID, but they're still standing strong and believing for the future. I wonder if that, the church, is the declaration, not just the declaration, but the demonstration of the gospel. Why do we build a healthy home? Because Thessalonians had a healthy home. And Paul, like a father, writes back. And to be honest, I've loved this because we've just gone through the word. And you know, it's amazing when you just go through the Bible, if you go through a book, you just it's five chapters, nice and short for those who don't like to read. But you know what I love about it? Is you come across subjects you wouldn't normally talk about. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I pick and choose what I wanna see in the Bible. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to these guys over here. <laughs> You know, you like to pick and choose some things. You're like, hey, hey, I'm blessed. Woo. And then I read the Bible and everything is yes and amen. But then I realise that actually what I'm doing is I'm just portraying an image of who I think I want God to be. But actually, the more I read the word, he's going to come and convict me of some things. He's going to challenge me in some things. And you know what? That's good. You know why? Because he's in the transformation business. And he's going to help transform my heart and be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. So read the word. We've come. We've spoken about sexual immorality. Yippee-cheapers. <laughs> We've spoken about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. I thought, oh my gosh, I do not know whether I'd talk about that. But that's what amazing is reading the word. The little things that come up that actually stir us, change us, speak to us. What a beautiful thing. God's word, so relevant, more relevant than it was back then. Right here in 2023, it's, it says relevant to the family home. Okay, let's read together. I'm taking a long time to introduce this chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter three. Let's read it together. It says, "Therefore, we could bear it no longer." Yo, when I stood in that for a while and I meditated over that, I was like, "Oh, that's like, that's urgency, that's passion." I could bear it no longer to get up this morning and come to church. I could bear it no longer to wait for that first that first worship song to be sung. I could bear it no longer to be in the presence of God with all the family. You know, Paul had this passion burning inside of him. Maybe your light in your heart's gone out today. I pray that God would stir that flame again in your heart. And it says, and we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ. What would he send Timothy to do? I'm gonna send Timothy to do two things. And Jesus always does this for us in the church. To establish, say establish, and exhort you in your faith. To establish, there's something about a foundational thing that God wants to do in our life. There's something about a process he wants to bring into our lives. Yes, we're gonna have some passion, but God's also gonna give us some process. I've come to establish and to exhort. And when you think of the name exhort, you think of encouragement. So what you normally think is to encourage is to speak with your mouth. But in the the New Testament, this word exhort is the Greek word which is paraklesis, which is mentioned 40 times in the New Testament, what actually means not to proclaim with your mouth, but it means to come alongside. In other words, the gospel is not just proclamation, it's proximity. It's coming close to people. And he said, verse three, and no one should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. There are gonna be tough times in our lives. No doubt, anyone in this room here, if you've lived long enough and you've got some wrinkles, those are war maps. You've been through, life is tough. And then he said, and when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it had come to pass And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, there it is, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that some other tempter tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Verse six says, but now, say but now, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us, kindly long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. Verse eight, for now we live. I love this. If you are standing fast in the Lord. Link Church, now we live. We don't live in the future. We don't live in the past. For now we live. Why? Because we're standing fast in the Lord. You know, I said earlier, I don't know about you, but I think we should give five seconds of praise to the God that says and reminds us that even though what we've been through, we are still standing. We're still standing. I didn't hear five seconds of praise. If you've been in KZN for a while, we went through COVID, but we're still standing. We went through the floods, but we're still standing. We went through the looting, but we're still standing. We're going through load shedding. (laughs) Too soon, Baba. No, we're still standing. Listen, if you've lived in South Africa, love, I want to tell you enough. You want to realize that actually, you know what? In spite of our circumstances, the kingdom of God is being advanced. We're still standing. If there's one light that's shining bright, it's the church of Jesus Christ. No darkness, no devil will stand against us because we're still standing. I'm not standing in my marriage, although I love that. I'm not standing in my children, although I love them. I'm not standing in my career, although I love that. I'm not standing in my hobbies. No, because if I stand in those, they'll crumble and fall. But I stand on Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can suffice me and lift me up and stand on my behalf. I'm still standing. Even though the circumstances not might line up, but the Bible reminds us we live by faith, not by sight. I'm still standing because I'm fastened to the Lord and he never moves. For now we live if you're standing fast to the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel. I love that word. Love is not just to be said, it's to be felt. We feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. Do you see that? Proximity. Paul's going. Please let me get close to you and supply what is lacking in your faith. What a beautiful. What's 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 lacking in your faith this morning? Where's it lacking? God's come to supply it. Verse eleven, and he ends with a benediction, and he says, "Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that you may that He may establish." Your heart's blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. What a beautiful benediction that you may abound in love. Your love, Eugene Peterson says, may it splash out and touch other people's lives. A love that splashes out and touches other people's lives, and that you may be found blameless before our Lord Jesus and when he comes back with the saints. Friends, The most confident people on this earth are not those who are founded in their circumstances, are those who know the future. Because when you know the future, it puts a powerful confidence in your present. Link Church and Church of Jesus Christ should be the most confident people in the world. You know why? Because our future is not dimmed or darkened. We know exactly what's gonna happen. Jesus Christ is coming back with his saints. We're gonna be restored and renewed. The Bible reminds us we need not wait for it. It's on its way. And we know that our redemption is nigh. But until that time, we're gonna light up this earth with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and we're not holding back because we're still standing. And every time we stand, the light shines into our hearts and changes us from the inside out. You know, I'm reminded of Jonathan Edwards, who was a 15th century theologian. At 18 years old, he preached his first sermon. Three points on a Christian's happiness. You know what the three points were? Number one, God turns everything that was meant for evil for our good. Number two, all good things will never be lost. What are the good things? I've saved by grace. I'm justified by faith. <laughs> I'm known by Him. He's rescued me. All those good things will never be taken from us. Last one the best things are yet to come. <sighs> do you feel it? The best is yet to come. So I want to ask the question how do you build a healthy home? I've got three things. Number one, I'll give them right up in the beginning. Number one, passion. What's the best thing we can leave for the generations to come? Love God passionately. Number two, process. Impress the truth practically. Process. Number three, power. Give your testimony personally. You cannot give away what you don't have. When you have a personal revelation of God the Father himself, you can give powerful testimony because he's touched you in a way that is unique and remarkable, and so you can. So I'm going to start, number one, if you're taking notes, say it with me, passion. Say it like you believe it. Passion. One of the greatest gifts you'll give to your next generation and your children and to your spouse and to your workplace and your, this community and your business is to love God passionately. Jesus spoke about that. You know, John 11 verse 12, he spoke about John the Baptist. And he said, John the Baptist, and he used these words. He says, and the kingdom of God will suffer violence, but the forceful will lead it. The forceful will take ground. That root word for forceful is passionate. Not passive. Passive. Passionate. The passionate will bring the kingdom of God onto this earth. Passionate. You know, when he described John the Baptist, he said he was a wild man, not a weird man. Sometimes when the world sees the church, they go, weird. No, no weird, you wild at heart because you could bear it no longer. When the kingdom of God comes into your heart and the spirit, the Holy Spirit touches you in a new, unique way and you get a revelation of the father, your life is never business as usual. It's never again business as usual because God's spirit is inside of you. It's not business as usual, it's bear it no longer. I could bear it no longer to worship in church this morning. I could bear it no longer to give my gifts to the kingdom of God. I could bear it no longer to see my business flourish for the glory of God. I bear it no longer. There's this passion that surges inside of us. Now, for some of us through circumstance or expectations, that flame might have dimmed. You Walked in this morning, I'm not sure if God's here. And so passion, let me just say it another way. Passion is not the job of a believer. It's the mark of a believer. There's a difference. You see, if we see it as a job, we see it as a performance to win a prize. But it's not. It's a mark. It's something you've already, it's a gift you've already received. I'm not passionate because I need to perform my way to get it. I'm passionate because God rescued me. He changed my life forever. I'm passionate because His grace has entered into my life. When I was asleep and had nothing going my way, He rescued me out of drowning. Put my feet on solid ground and now I'm standing. Passion. I think if anything, your, your family, your children are looking up. They don't listen to what you say. They don't listen to what you might uh, speak about. But you know what they're doing? They're watching. Passion is not a, a, um, a noun. It's a verb. Passion. Passion. Comes from within. There's this lit fire that the Holy Spirit put inside of you. So how do you know you're passionate? What's the sign of being passionate? You seek the truth. You grapple with the bigger questions of life. You you, you know what's the opposite of passion? Oh, I've heard this before. Yeah, that's yeah, nothing new here. And we, and we laugh because you know what often happens is when, when what we expected doesn't happen, we, little, we get a little bit, didn't work out for us, a little bit bitter, a little bit cynical. And then our hearts get a little bit cold. And maybe you in that moment today, but I pray by God's power and His Holy Spirit that He would remind you of how much you've loved and known and seen. And when He touches you, He starts to burn that flame again. And it can't happen to me saying something to you, but it happens when God's speaking to you now. And He wants to burn the flame again. That flame that started years ago, but He wants to ignite it again in His love. And you know when you seek the truth, you find God. When you you pray to God, you speak to Him, but when when you read the Word, He speaks to you. And when that truth, when you start open and you unpack it and you say, and you know what happens? When passion gets in your heart, you know what it is? It's not about, Lord, what can you do to please me? The question of my life comes, what can I do to please you? Do you see it? It changes the way we approach Him. Lord, what could I do to please you? Another thing about passion, what's another mark of passion? It's expectation. I live with expectation. You know, I love that one liner from Peter Pan. It says that every fable is a true story. You know the stories that we read when we were younger? You remember Beauty and the Beast? You remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? All those stories are true. You know why? Because there is a beauty that came from heaven and kissed a beast like me and turned my life around. There is a prince that came to kiss the comatized Snow White like you and I. We were in a coma, but God woke us up with his love. Let the Father kiss you the heart. And you know what that does? You live with expectation. Oh God, what are you going to do next? I can't wait. Look what you did this morning. Look what you're going to do next week. We live with a sense of expectation. And we also live with humility. That's another mark. What was the message of John the Baptist? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is not, oh woe is me, I feel sorry. I'm gonna no repentance is saying, God, how is it that I've missed who you are? How is it, yes, we say sorry, but God, thank you for what you did for me. Lord, I long to be with you. It changes the way we think about who God is and who we are and those around us. It drives us towards humility. Less of me, God, more of you. I'm weak, you strong. Just a, a humility. You know, I don't know about you. Have, you, have you ever watched the film, The Matrix? Baby boomers, put your hands up, come on. You watched it. Okay, you're not helping me, you guys. Anyway, so the, a lot of the teenagers in the room are thinking, I never watched The Matrix, what's The Matrix? Keanu Reeves, anyone? No. Okay, Keanu Reeves, and you've got that scene where Neo is with Morpheus, and, it's got, and, and The Matrix is a step into another reality. It's to live another life, and he gets, uh, uh, Morpheus gets Neo before him, and he puts out, rolls out his hand like he says, Neo, the time's come to you to make a choice. And in his hand is the blue pool and the red pool. And he looks at me, he says, if you take the blue pool, you're gonna go back to the life you used to live. But if you take the red pool, you're gonna step into wonderland and you're gonna go down the rabbit hole. And it's almost like I thought to myself, you know what, that's the picture of passion. God says we no longer live in, this, in the physical world, we live in a new reality, the land of faith, a new country where every promise is yes and amen in Christ. We live in a new world. Let God take you into wonderland and live the life you were designed to live and live for the glory of God. It's gonna require faith, but I would live no other way. I would live no other way. Paul says I can bear it no longer. I don't wanna live my life eight to five and then die playing bowls. No, we were called. Your purpose is directly aligned to God's purpose in you. You're living and breathing. If you have life in you, God has called you to benefit other people while you're on this earth, not just for now, but for history and eternity. He's done it. Give me the red pill, God. Give me it again today. Swallow it whole. Put it inside of you and say, take me to Wonderland. Okay. Anyway. Number two, passion. Number two, process. Process, impress the truth practically. Now, I don't know about you, but I think in life, you can have a lot of passion. You know, ask anyone who's been on honeymoon for two weeks, whee, passion. But then you realize that your marriage needs a process after that. You need to work it out. How are we gonna do this? You know, you can be passionate for a while. And I think of Moses, the character in the Bible. I love Moses. But Moses was pretty passionate. He had an encounter with a burning bush that didn't go out and the bush spoke. God himself spoke to him. Anybody here had that before? If you have, we'll pray for you afterwards. But (laughs) if you've had that, God spoke through the burning bush and Moses was like, oh, it changed his life. Moses, who's a murderer. Moses, who had been left alone in a far desert. Moses, who felt like he was out of the, the seen eyes of God. Yet God arrived at him. Oh, God arrives to you, finds you in your mess, speaks to you. And passion starts to fuel in him. Oh, I said to him earlier, I think he was going on roller skates towards Egypt. I go, Ooh, hoo, hoo. he's like, Oh, come on, Aaron. Keep up with me, my man. I'm so passionate. He walked into the palace with his staff and he just went, hush, da, boom. <laughs> and there were locusts that appeared out of nowhere. And then Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he said, Oh, Pharaoh, you haven't seen anything yet. da. And then there were frogs. Frogs. I've had frogs in my pool once. I want to see another frog. Frogs. And then he was like, hey, hey, passionate, still passion. But the whole Nile turned to blood. And then Pharaoh still got, he said, I'm going to carry on. And then they put the over the blood over the lintel. And the angel of death went past and passed over the families. When that angel looked through the doors, did it look at the people, the family? It looked at the blood. When God looks at you, He doesn't look at what you've done wrong, where you've come, He looks at the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? They left that town and they left, and it says that all the wealth was given to the Israelites. Friends, when salvation comes into your heart, God gives you everything you need for your purpose. All the wealth of Egypt was put inside of them. And it says, and now, now he wasn't roller skating, he was gliding. He was passionate. Red Sea, open. And then he gets into the wilderness. And there's two million people following Can you imagine looking after a church? Two million people, one pastor. baba. And his father-in-law, Jethro. See how key relationships are? Jethro meets him in a day and he says, my man, you got all the passion in the world, but what you desperately need is process. And I thought to myself, you know what? Passion will go nowhere if you don't have a process. If you don't have understanding. See, Paul said, I've come to establish something in the church. I've come to establish something in you. I've given you a process. Why is process important? Because it's what you do often that's gonna change your life, not what you do occasionally. Craig Rochelle said it so well. He said, you know, imagine you went to your gym instructor and said, ooh, summer's coming. I wanna get in the gym. And the gym instructor said, no, just come once a week. You look at me, you're crazy, my man. Nothing's gonna happen. You're right, nothing's gonna happen because it's not what you do occasionally. It's what you do consistently that's gonna change your life. I'm preaching today on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Statistics have shown us by 12 o'clock today, you've only retained 25% of my message. By next week, Friday, 1%. But you know how it changes? It changes when you go home and you read it for yourself. And then on Monday morning, you share it with your family. And then on Tuesday, you share it with your small group. And then on Friday, you share it with your business. And then on Saturday, guess what? You've retained 75% of what we've been said today. And you not just retained it, you've demonstrated it. You've lived it out. Because you can be inspired here once a week on Sunday, but God's got a trajectory for you to do something more consistently. And the more consistent you do it, the more you change from the inside out. There's a process for you and I. Now, I wanna talk a little bit about a process, if you don't mind, around relationships. And so that becomes practical. Impress the truth practically. How do we do that for our families, our relationships? And uh, I'm gonna give you four A's quickly. None of us got four A's at school. <laughs> I was in you know, 6K for clever or confused, one of the two. But anyway, I'm going to give you four A's. I thought that would work. Number one is acceptance. Acceptance. The Bible says in Romans, it says, Romans 12, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Now, the challenge is we live in a world that likes to look down their noses at other people. We like the idea of acceptance, but we say, no, hey, no, no, stay over there, my man. I, you know, I'm accepting you, but you must be over there because you know what? You don't walk like me. You don't talk like me. You don't act like me. And it's like, hey, la la po, We want to just keep the guys away, acceptance. And you know what? In this world, we're in a put down world. No one's going to, they want to just put down other people. And also, you know what we like to do? We like to impress ourselves and other people. Yeah, I don't know about you. You know the people that like to be on time? I'm one of those. But you arrive early for church and then when the late guys come, you go, check, he's late. Jackie's late. Jackie their family, they're late. Or, or what about the guys that are like a little bit OCD and they like to clean stuff, you know, and their houses are just perfect and they go to other houses and they walk around with like a glove and they go, oh, dirty, yeah. Oh, not so good, eh? And they make themselves feel so proud. And the problem is, you see, you haven't really accepted them, have you? But the Bible says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. The key to your growth is actually the gap in somebody else's life. Yeah, the fact is, you might be good at time, but that person's good at something else. They could teach you something. So the Bible is never—you know—we speak about unity. Unity is not uniformity; it's diversity. Can I can I can I share a secret with you? On how to change your family, and how to change your small group, on how to change your marriage, and how to change your relationship with your children? Can I can I share a secret with you? Share your weakness. Share where, be honest, share your weakness. Why? Because people never connect over their strengths. They connect over their weaknesses. And when you share your weakness, what happens? You build connection. And where there's connection, there's trust. And where there's trust, there's unity. And what does God do for unity? He commands a blessing. Be honest. Be honest with where you act as a parent. A good friend of Kath, she uh, gave us a, for her birthday a conversation some cards that you pull out, and we had it around the table. And the challenge with those cards is like, you gotta pull the one in front of you. You can't just choose what you like. And so we pulled the card, it was my turn, I pulled the card and it said, the question was, when was the last time you cried? And it wasn't physical pain. I heard my daughters talk about what that meant for them. And you know, they came back to me. Now you know what it's like for men in South Africa, cowboys don't cry. but I just got a moment to share where I cried where it wasn't physical pain. But you know, in that moment, it felt like the presence of God came into our home because I was just being honest with it. I was weak. People don't connect with the expert. No one likes an expert. Yeah? I think sometimes the world looks at Christians and go, look at those people. They all got it worked out. Why would I be part of them? But we're not. We're imperfect. We're weak, but he is strong. And when you share your weakness, it changes everything. Accept one another, because Christ accepted you with all your weaknesses. Acceptance. The second one is attention. Now you can accept someone, but you can also ignore them. (laughs) You can accept one, accept someone but also just put them out of your life. You know, it's easy to accept, but actually attention means I'm, I'm coming close to them. I see them. It's one thing to be known, but not seen brings pain to our lives. But one of the gifts of the church is that we can pay attention. And, and why, why pay attention? Because there's a basic principle that whatever you pay attention to grows. If I pay attention to my garden, it's gonna grow. If I pay attention to my marriage, it's going to grow. If I pay attention to my children, they're going to thrive. The only time I've seen this not work is with my hair. And John John Maxwell said it so well. He said, what you focus on expands. It expands. Attention. You know, I was at a funeral a couple of days ago in this church, and I met someone I hadn't seen for a while. His son's a teenager. And he's telling me, he said, you know, me and my son, we just... We're not an eye to eye, you know. I'm gonna fix him. I'm gonna sort this out. I'm taking away his jet ski. I'm taking away his surfboard. I'm taking away his phone. He must sort himself out. And I looked at this guy and I just wanted to say to him listen, it's never been about the jet ski, never been about the surfboard. Your son wants you, he wants you. I thought about that for men, and I know for me, it's been one of those things, you know, with men, they go like, "My well, family don't appreciate me, I'm working hard, I'm building a career, I'm doing all those things, but I want to tell you, friends, your children, your children don't want your working hours or your career, they want you. They want to see you. You are the greatest gift to your family. Your attention to your children, to look them in the eyes and say, you've got what it takes. Love them with your eyes. You know, two to six years old, you know what the greatest... Repeated verse of a two to sixty year old boy or girl is, watch me, dad. Watch me. He dives in the pool, he gets out. Watch me, Dad. How do we give attention to our children? The greatest gift of love is not diamonds and chocolates and pedicures. The greatest gift of love is your time. It's your attention. And God, you know, God's given us everything. He, he looks down at He says, I know every hair in your head. I know everything about you. I loved you before you were born. I love Charles Burgess He says, I'm so grateful God loved me before I was born because he wouldn't love me after I'm born. <laughs> <laughs> he loved you. He's put his eyes on you. The Bible says he looks to and fro through the earth for those he loves. Searching right now on you. Attention. Acceptance, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Attention, whatever you focus on will expand. The third thing is affection. Now, I love this affection because when you think, you know, in in Galatians, it says love one another with brotherly affection. And that word in the Greek actually has to do with physical touch. Do you know as young babies, they can get milk, they see their mother's eyes, They get nicely dressed, but the thing that makes a baby thrive is physical touch. And also, they've proven it, as it is with children, so it is with adults. Physical touch is a major part of making, not just seeing love, but feeling love. I don't know about you, but I just learned recently there are 25 different forms of hugs. 25! There's the bro hug, there's the Hollywood hug, there's the side hug. You know, the awkward side hug, like that, like that. Do you know? Do you know in the Bible? Peter mentioned it. Paul mentions it three times. He ends a letter and he says, "Whatever you're going to do, greet each other with a holy kiss." I'm still trying to interpret that, but I'm not going to holy kiss any of you. That's reserved for my wife. I'm going to holy kiss her. But yes, he has the thought. He has the thought. Love is not just spoken; it's felt. It's felt. It really is felt. Why don't you stand with me, quickly? Just stand. Why don't you stand? I want you to raise your hands like this in the air. You're just thanking God for a nice breather. Go down, touch your toes. All right, turn around and hug someone. Give them a hug. All right, all right, all right. You can take a seat, take a seat. You're gonna be here hugging each other all day. Now, now there are three responses to this. The one is the introvert in the room's I started shaking like, oh my gosh. And, and, and for some people, maybe you're new to church, you think, I'm never coming back to this church again. I hope you don't receive that message. Number two, you're thinking, woo, this is amazing. Next week I'm sitting next to someone I, I really like. You guys in the front row are thinking what I'm thinking. And then the third one. The third one is for someone that never received a hug this whole week. And they just got it now. My dad had arms like Mac's. He had hairy, big arms. And if you don't know Mac, Mac gives them the most amazing hugs. In fact, my dad's gone, but I've, you, my dad, because you give me such big hugs. And you know, I grew up... Um, I think Uncle Knight's going to be smiling in heaven. But you know, my dad, he, he, used to, he got saved in 1976 on the border under the stars in Angola. And he came home, he's a changed man. And he used to, all us brothers would talk about this. My dad would um, pray with us next to bed at night. And he showed us what the father was like. But you know, my dad, used to play this game. He, Those big hairy arms, he'd grip us on the bed, he'd hold us tight. And he'd say these words, I'm never gonna let you go. I got you now. And we were trying and wrestle out. You know, a young boy, you're like, I'll show you, Dad. But it was like a vice grip. <laughs> In fact, if he squeezed you, you you'd lose the air in your lungs. And uh, he then would let go of his arms. And he would say, it's okay, I'll let you go, but God will never let you go. He put his arms around you. And I thought to myself, the gospel is not just a declaration, it's a demonstration. The greatest gift we can do the church is to hug someone. To touch someone and give them a half five. Tell them they're doing good. You know what I thought about? It's often we don't pay attention to the people right around us. We live in homes and we it's my children that get the last of my hugs. It's that person that works next to me at work. Go and find that teller. Go and find that person along the road. Give them a hug and say, hey, God loves you. It changes everything you know the last thing I thought about I'm going to get to the fourth A was appreciation you know I thought you know what there's only one thing that depreciates it's your car when you take it off the showroom floor but you know what the Bible says appreciate one another build one another up because you know what when you appreciate someone you raise their value when you appreciate someone you raise their value don't just think about it say it appreciate someone Can I help you today? When you go up and pick your kids up in the next door, look at a volunteer in the eye and say, I appreciate you, because you're changing my children's lives. When you go and see that teller or that business person, go and appreciate them, because every time you appreciate someone, you raise their value. Would we we be a church that's known for appreciating one another? Because all of us are unique, a gift from God. Brick by brick, He's building His beautiful church. And if the world needs anything, it needs to be known it's loved and seen. One hug from Jesus changes everything. And so I wanna close because there's passion, but we don't get passion from performing to win because then it becomes about aha. Have you ever had those moments? I don't know, I've been on youth camps and you've been in those moments, gets to this last day and you're all like emotional and you go, God, I'm gonna go and witness to the world. I'm going to change my business, I'm going to do all that. And then you fail by Wednesday. You do. How many of you have made promises to God? God, I'm going to go to the Maldives and start a church. Anyone, anyone likes that? Anyway, personal joke. But anyway, so you're you're like, i got made these promises by Wednesday. You're going like, oh, and then you give up. And you think, oh, well, Christianity is just for the super spiritual. But you see, that's why we're so worried and anxious. It's never been about us, us. It's about God in us. I can't pick up my life by my bootstraps. I've tried. Bootstrap, up, doesn't work. Mind power doesn't work. Willpower doesn't work. There's only one thing that works is God's power inside of you. When you open your heart, He comes to fill you with His power. It changes everything. So what's power? Do you see how Paul closed? I want to speak it over you guys. Now may God Himself, the Father, and our Lord Jesus come to you. God wants to touch you personally. Not your grandfather, not your spouse next to you, not your children. He's come for you, personal. Now may God Himself touch you. And the problem is, you know what? To be honest, every day the world sentences and judges us as families and homes. You know what the world's rules are? Thou shalt be the perfect parent. Thou shalt have the perfect marriage. Thou shalt be a winner at all costs. Thou shall be the most beautiful in the room. Thou shall be the most liked. Hey, like, 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 like. Thou shall be the perfect family, smiling. But you know how refreshing it is to hear the words of Jesus that says, "Thou shall be mine forever." Hey, you were never born for performance. He did it for you rescue you the father comes to speak to you I want to close just in this power see power comes from seeing the father when I get a revelation of him see my heart needs to change I can't I can't replace my hobby and my career and everything I can't do that I can't push it away I can only replace it with something more beautiful it's my father in heaven and you know what he does four things all through scripture Genesis to Revelation write these down Speak these to your children when you lie in bed at night and you pray with them. Talk about it at the table. Just keep talking about four things God does for you and I when you see the Father. One, He says, I love you. I love you. I don't love you because you're beautiful. I love you because I'm gonna make you beautiful. I don't love you because you're righteous. I love you because I'm gonna make you righteous. (laughs) I love you. I love you uniquely how you are. Don't change a thing. I'm gonna change you from the inside out. (laughs) Number two, I'm with you. I'm with you in the valley, I'm with you on the mountain. I'm with you in the divorce, I'm with you in the separation. I'm with you in the business meeting, I'm with you in your career. I'm with you when you're sad, I'm with you when you're happy. I am with you. Third one, don't be afraid. 365 times in the Bible. For every day of the year, don't be afraid. Friends, we should be the most courageous people on this earth because our God is sovereign. Not one hair, not one sparrow will fall from it without God's notice. He's not in plan B or C. He's still in plan A. Don't be afraid. Last one. I've got three younger brothers and we grew up on the farm. Back in the 80s, you didn't have video games and whatever goes with that. We were lucky. We had a farm. So off we went and played. And you know when you play on a farm, we would get dirty from literally head to toe. And then you get roasties, how about some stub toes? Anyone anyone recognize those things? You would be, and you would, and all I can remember is the voice of my mum when dusk, when the sun was setting, it was dusk. And I'd hear my mum, boys, it's time to come home. And us four would run with our BMXs. Hey, some of us limping. <laughs> Granty would often limp at the back because we'd wrestle a little bit. Anyway, and we'd get there. And then we got into the bath. There'd be a bath prepared for us. And you know the bath, crystal clear, but when four boys get in it, pitch black. And then we will be washed fresh with that Lux soap. And you'll get into your pajamas, refreshed and renewed. You know what the fourth thing that God keeps reminding us? You know what He says to you? Just come home. Come home, I'll wash you up. Come home, I'll refresh you. It doesn't matter what roasties you've got on, how dirty you've been. You might feel like you've bent over. But the invitation of the gospel is please, come home. Come home i got to ask one question, though. You see that last one come home? It's an invite. I remember we got married on the 3rd of August, 2002. Three months later, my best friend got married. And uh, we got an invite to go to the men. Our first invitation as a married couple. You remember those moments when the postal office actually worked? It was like Mark and Cass 7, P.O. Box 265, I'm clearly 4390. Oh. And you open it up like this, and we, our first invite to a wedding. Wow. And then we're gonna put on the fridge, right? put Put on the fridge. And he goes, Mark and Kath, you are cordially invited to the marriage of Haley Deploy to Roger Mark Deshamway Date Clever Stella Club. And right at the bottom with those little words, RSVP. Man, we RSVP'd in a moment. To my best friends wedding, best friend. Can I ask you a question? Have you RSVP'd to the best invitation you ever receive in your life? It's not in the post, it's right here now. Will he come home too? What are you waiting for? Come home, take the red bull, step into wonderland and let's see how far this rabbit hole goes. Why not you stand? With-